The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning at Story City Church. Uh, today's scripture reading is, will be uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Um, I've written it in English and Farsi. Please stand for the word of God. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of the miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. I read it in Farsi. Sorry. <laughs> به یکی به وسیله روح کلام حکمت داده می شود به دیگری به واسطه همان روح کلام معرفت و به شخصی دیگری به وسیله همان روح ایمان و به دیگری باز توسط همان روح عطایای شفا دادن به شخص دیگر قدرت انجام معجزات داده می شود به دیگری نبوت و دیگری تشخیص ارواح و باز به شخص دیگر سخن گفتن به عنوان زبانهای دیگر بخشیده می شود و به دیگری ترجمه زبانهای غیره راها you are amazing man you're incredible thank you not only are you such a faithful servant man you um, you always come in with such a, a just a gracious and joyful heart and if you have not met him you absolutely need to he just uh, he exudes joy humility service he is a man uh who shows what it looks like to model Jesus. So if you don't know Raha, you should. Uh, my name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of your pastors here. Good morning. You guys doing okay this morning? Yeah. All right, we are excited that you are here. We'd like to welcome you to the family. As a little bit of a background, we have been learning together how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has been uh, working with, speaking to, interacting with, and empowering humanity to carry out his mission since the beginning of time. The Bible says that Jesus did the work he did through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus returned to heaven, he said that he is leaving the Spirit here with us to empower us to do the same things that he did, that, that our job is to model Jesus, to show how he loves, how he leads, how he cares for. Our job is to bring glory to the Father just like he did. And so we are here to do that and to help each other and the world around us do that as well. And so we're excited about that. We're going to continue to talk about that. But speaking of uh, reflecting who God is, as we enter Black History Month, I think it's important for you guys to know our commitment here at Story City Church is not just to be diverse, but to be multicultural. Do you know the difference? There is a difference. Here's a difference. Diversity says there's a lot of different people sitting in the audience. Multicultural says that throughout our organization, 
that at the highest levels we have people of diversity, people of color that aren't just there as tokens, but people who are speaking into every part of who we are and what we do. And we have, uh, we have done that. We have people at every level of our organization that are of different ethnicities. I think that's awesome. But we also need to continue to do that in the way that we, the music that we play before and after service, the way that we talk and think. Why? Because it's a gospel issue. Revelation says every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there glorifying God in their languages and their tongues. And so we will also look like the kingdom of heaven by the way that we look in this church. Amen. Good, that is a good thing. So I'm excited about that. We're going to continue to make that commitment to you. Um, so you know, some of the greatest thinkers uh, in the church history have been African Americans. Do you know that St. Augustine was black? Some of you did not know that. He is, or he was. I guess he still is. He's with Jesus. So. Still, still there. <laughs> Nothing has changed, Jared. It's all good. <laughs> Hey, I, uh, I usually start the sermons with a time of pastoral prayer, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. I am uh, really excited to announce, as Samir just uh, spilled the beans a little bit, but he uh, was unanimously approved as the uh, next pastor of Granada Hills. Yeah. So uh, he is already ordained. What we are going to do then, instead of having an ordination for him, is we are going to commission him into the work that God has called him to. And so I'd like to invite Josh and Nate to come up here, and uh, Samir and Shirley, if you would come up. We're just going to spend a little bit of time praying over you and for you. You want to preach it? Go for it. It's, it's all there. <laughs> Front and center, fun. All right, all right. That's my arm, Nate. (laughs) 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 I don't know about this church sometimes. (laughs) Lord God, you are such a gracious and holy God. You are so good. Lord, you knew what we needed before we needed it. Lord, you worked in incredibly miraculous ways to bring Shirley and Samir to a place where they were even ready to be a part of this church. Lord, the experiences that you brought them through seemed to have no answers until you revealed your perfect, perfect, good, and right timing for them. And Lord, it's easy to look back now and see that, that the things that you brought them through were preparation for the calling that you've placed in their life. It's easy to see now the, the things that they suffered through, Lord, the pain that they went through, the, Lord, just the trying times they endured, the times they cried out to you and said, God, what is this for? That you have begun to answer it as you have revealed this timing of the calling to this place and this ministry to them. Lord, thank you that you always have a better plan and a better way than what we can see or understand. I thank you that your promise that you will always do what's best for us and for your kingdom Lord, is true, is real, is right, even when we don't feel it, that everything that you allow for us is things that you are redeeming for us. And so, Lord, we, we stand together and commission Samir and Shirley to this new work. We commission them, Father, to, to being a part of Story City, to launching Granada Hills. We thank you for the timeline that you have placed in their hearts. We thank you for the hard work that they are committed to doing. But more importantly, we thank you that all of the things that you are going to do in them, Lord, is even greater than what you're going to do through them. 
And so we thank you and praise you. We commission them to this. Lord, we uh, stand before you and say uh, we lift them up to you, protect them, watch over them, protect their family. Lord, thank you for the incredible gift Shirley is for Samir. And uh, I pray that he continues to listen. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Good job, guys. Love you. All right, good days for us. We have been promising you, those of you from Granada Hills who are watching online, online right now, we have promised you that we have not forgotten about you. We have promised that we are working hard to get you um, going again. I know that it has been a long time coming and you've been waiting faithfully. Uh, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, we're doing everything in our power to do this right. You can only launch once, or in our case, twice, but... Um, <laughs> We want to do it well so that we, we, uh, we are lasting and, uh, and have an impact in Granada. Again, our, our heart is that we would see the valley transformed for Jesus. We know that if you transform the valley, you transform Los Angeles. And so that is, that is what we hope to do, to hope to be a part of. It's not the only church that's doing it, but we know that God is moving. And we are excited and we think Granada represents the first step in what God is going to do there. So, all right, amen? amen. That's the Christianese for, word for, yeah, I agree, let's go. All right. Uh, would you open your Bibles back up to 1 Corinthians for me? Um, if you open up your Bible to about the middle, that's the Psalms. The Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus has always existed. He existed in the Old Testament. New Testament is when, in addition to his God nature, he took on human nature. And, uh, and so that's where that starts. New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you keep going past the Gospels, a couple more books, you'll get to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 12, and I want us to get a little context on what Raha read today. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 13 so that we get a little bit of that. Now, uh, the New Testament or New Covenant is another way of saying that. Um, comes from this idea that, that we all entered into a covenant from God, that God had uh, this perfect covenant with his world, with creation, and we, against God's will, humanity exchanged that covenant for a contract with Satan that made us slaves to sin and death. In the new covenant, Jesus, as God, enters into humanity and purchases us out of that bad contract, out of that bad covenant. Through his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus freely gives this new covenant to anyone who wants to sign on as a servant to him instead of as a servant to sin and death. But here's the incredible thing. He doesn't leave us as a servant. Even though that's the best of what we deserve, that he goes beyond that and he adopts us into his family as his beloved sons and daughters. And not just as some token sons and daughters, but as true sons and daughters who share in the inheritance of Jesus. That's incredible. It's absolutely mind-blowing, but that's the gospel, that God, is, God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. The whole Bible is this continuing love story about how Jesus brings honor and glory to the Father by rescuing us and the Father's desire to see us redeemed and back to him. All right, so let's pick up our scripture for today. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 13. Again, paying attention to verses 8 through 10 as our main verses today. It says this, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, just to clarify 
These are not just, he doesn't mean like just spurt it out of your mouth. He means with conviction, to believe these things. When you say Jesus is Lord, it means literally like I am servant to this God. So he's saying no one can actually come to this place where you can say I am a servant to Jesus unless by the Spirit, when you're talking about conviction in your heart, not just the words that come out of your mouth. Make sense? Okay. Because when I was a kid, I was like, I can say Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say Jesus is Lord. Don't be me. Okay. Verse 4, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. One of the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Okay. Let's talk for a moment about verses 1 to 6, power comes from either God or Satan. Power comes from either God or Satan, but they are not equals. It's not like a yin and yang where, where good balances evil. It doesn't work like that. Satan and his power are not equal in any way to God the Father. But Satan does have power. It's real and it exists. Now, I grew up in a town that, uh, that had a ton of witches and warlocks. I grew up in the town of Santa Cruz where uh, Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible. Uh, witches and warlocks were, kind of a, uh, warlocks were kind of a big deal where I grew up, so was big practices of the occult, and, and uh, uh, it was just kind of around all of the time. And there was this belief that there was white magic and black magic, that uh, white magic was basically people who were using magic powers for things that were of good purposes, and black magic was people who were using it for nefarious themes. And so they had white witches and black witches, uh, witches white magic, black magic. But the scripture is pointing out here that, that the things of God can only come from God. The things of Satan are from Satan. It does not matter whether they are nefarious or not, white magic is evil and it is of Satan. And those things need to be clear that only the things that God does are of God. Satan can mimic the things of God, but he cannot accomplish the things of God. Does that make sense? Because we're saying, okay, so verses 1 to 6, that's what Paul is trying to explain here. There's actually this great story in Acts where as the disciples start doing miracles of God, there's this, this uh, warlock, there's this guy who practices magic. He's like, I want that. And so he comes and tries to be baptized and he actually tries to buy the power that the disciples have for himself. And he's like, I, I, I want that. And Paul's like, hey, dude, you're, like, this is wrong. It doesn't work that way. You can't just buy the Holy Spirit's power. This is not that cheap mockery stuff that you're doing. And so this is really what he's addressing when he addresses verse 1 to 6. Remember that what Paul is doing here is he's correcting the Corinthian church. There's all of this stuff that's happened there, and they're going, hey, we're confused. There's, there's this stuff that's going on, and so Paul is writing back about specific answers. And so when he gets to this, this has a lot to do with Paul correcting their understanding of what these things mean. Okay. 
So this matters because we're literally talking about God the Holy Spirit doing the impossible through his apprentices. Through those people who apprentice Jesus, there are things that will happen that will be miraculous and, uh, and we need to understand how that works. It's not something we go and try and replicate through evil practices. All right, good. Jesus tells us in verse 38 of Acts 2 that every one of us who becomes a follower of Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism the Holy Spirit is. Don't let anybody tell you different. That every believer... Every apprentice of Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are three distinct persons of one essence. You cannot separate them. Where the Father is, the Son is, the Spirit is. Therefore, you can't say you have Jesus and you hope the Holy Spirit shows up later because it does not work that way. It cannot work that way or we're denying the Trinity. And so baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every apprentice of Jesus. Everybody that follows Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. And he does, the Holy Spirit comes to help us be who we're called to be, to live the life that we've been called to give. So every follower gets the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives every follower or apprentice of Jesus at least one supernatural gift or ability in order to help us carry out God's mission. Now, last week we talked about tongues and prophecy. This week I get the privilege of handing, handling faith, healing, and miracles. Why? Because I only like taking the easy ones. (laughs) You may wonder, why are we talking about these gifts in particular? And the answer is that these tend to be the most controversial gifts and also the most abused gifts. And so that's the reason that we are handling these. And, And I'm trying to give us some foundations or baselines for the way that we look at the spiritual gifts. And so if, if you get what I'm saying about tongues, prophecy, faith, healing, and miracles, then when you are, are around anybody or you're reading the scriptures and you're trying to understand what God is doing, you will have some foundational truth that you can say, oh, I know how to look at these and interpret these and I know what I'm supposed to do with this. So I'm trying to teach you how to think about this in a godly and right way. Does that Make sense why we're doing this? Okay, so don't be like, well, you never handled administration. I, I, I know, but this, this will get into those type of things if you understand the most controversial ones. Our hope for all of our services is always that when you leave here, you, you can't get to the depths of any serious discussion in 35 minutes, right? You, you, you can't. And so the, the idea is that what we would do is explain things in a way that makes it approachable for you that you begin to understand the gospel, you begin to understand how it applies in ways that you can take that back and go, I want to know more. And you learn more through your conversations in your missional community groups. You learn more through digging deeper into the Bible in your DNA groups. You learn more by hanging out with other people and going, what does this mean? By the more that you read and spend time with Jesus. And so hopefully these services push you into a deeper relationship in all of those ways. Now, speaking of important foundational pieces to any of the gifts, I want to go back to something we talked about last week, and that's our first observation for the day is this. It's important to remember that we don't own our spiritual gifts. We are gifted to bring fame to God and to help his people accomplish his mission. Okay, We don't own our spiritual gifts. We are gifted to bring fame to God and help his people accomplish his mission. This may not seem like a big deal when we're talking about the non-controversial gifts, but it's absolutely important as we start to understand gifts like healing and miracles. And once again, what do I mean by we don't own our gifts? I mean that even if God has gifted us with a supernatural ability, it's not our power or our strength that actually accomplishes anything. Every time we use the gift we've been given, it's only possible if and when God himself does the work. 
Now, for whatever reason, God has chosen his church to be the instrument by which he accomplishes his plan for the world. God could bring about his plan without our help. He does not need us, and yet he chooses us to be a part of what he is doing. This is why Jesus said it was good for him to return to the Father and that we would not only do the things he did, but greater things. What does he mean by that? He's referring to how Jesus did faith, healing, and miracles while he was here, but billions of Christians throughout time will do more for billions of people because of the impact that they would have. And so God is accomplishing his mission through his church by his power. Because we don't own our gifts, they're not ours to use for our benefit, our plans, our purposes, or for our credit. It's, it's kind of like this. My 17-year-old son has a room in our house, right? It'd be weird if he didn't. <laughs> my son sleeps outside, okay? My son has a, a 17-year-old son has a room in our house. It's his room. But here's the deal. He lives there rent-free. He has, our stu- he has his stuff in that room. But ultimately, that room belongs to my wife and me, right? The room belongs to me. He doesn't pay for it. He can't sublease it out for his own profit. Right? He can try. Not going to happen. He can't destroy it without consequence. He has it all to himself, but under accountability to the owners of the room, his parents. He's only using the room because he has that privilege as a part of our family. In the same way, we don't own our gifts and can't use them any way that we want. We can only access them to bring fame and to further God's mission as we're going about what he told us to do. And so we can only use it inside the context of who God is and what he's doing. Make sense? Good. All right. Let's tackle our first gift, the gift of faith. If you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. Remember, we're really talking about verses 8, 9, and 10 today. This is the crux of what we're trying to get to, verses 8, 9, and 10. And so observation number two is this. The spiritual gift of faith is where the Holy Spirit gives, gifts a Christian with a supernatural confidence in God's promises, power, and presence for the glory of God and the benefit of his people. Let me read that again. The spiritual gift of faith is this, where the Holy Spirit gifts a Christian with supernatural confidence in God's promises, power, and presence for the glory of God and benefit of his people. Every believer in Jesus has a saving faith that God has given us. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he tells them in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. In Christian terms, the, the term for this is sola fide, faith alone. And so while saving faith, while sola fide, is a gift from God, it's not the gift that we're talking about as a supernatural, spiritual gift. Okay, Every apprentice of Jesus was given, sola fide, was given faith alone as a basis for their salvation. That is not the gift that we're talking about as a supernatural gift that the Holy Spirit gives us to accomplish his will and mission. If you have the spiritual gift of faith, you have in situations where there is uncertainty about whether God can, will come through, you have this unshakable belief that God is going to do something amazing. In a situation where there's uncertainty about whether God can or will come through, 
you have, if you have this gift, an unshakable belief that God is going to do something amazing. It goes down to the core of who you are. You just know it. You know it beyond knowing, beyond knowing. You just know God is going to come through. It's unshakable. God's got this. It's not a blind, uneducated, naive optimism but rather a gift that allows you to remember the promises, power, and presence of God when other people cannot see it. Now, faith is almost always used to either put God's goodness on display, to fill the people around you with hope in who he is and what he's done, or lastly, to set up a healing or miracle. So here's the three ways that I see faith most often used. It's almost always used to either put God's goodness on display, to fill the people around you with hope in who he is and what he's done, or to set up a healing or miracle. My wife has this gift, this gift of faith. And I'd like to share a time where God did something miraculous in our lives, and I believe it was set up by my wife's gift of faith. When I was in the military, um, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton. I was Navy, I was with the Marine Corps. And uh, I got picked up for an officer program. And so uh, they called and said, hey, why aren't you here? I was like, I don't know. What do you mean? I'm sitting where I'm supposed to be. And they said, you're supposed to be in Rhode Island. Uh, You're supposed to be here three weeks ago. And I was like, well, I'm obviously not. They said, yeah, that's what we're calling. Uh, Are you coming or not? And I was like, I don't, what what do you mean? They're like, you're going to be here for a year. You you show up or you're not. Like, okay, how much time do I decide? They said, an hour. Call my wife. Hey, I know we just got married six months ago. Would you like to leave all your family and friends and everybody behind and go move to Rhode Island for at least a year? And she was like, cool, all right, let's go. <laughs> it's like, I knew I married you for a reason. So we pack up and we drive across. Now, here's the thing. Um, I had, we had just uh, gotten married. We had just, our pay had just changed for getting married and we had moved off base into housing. And so, uh, you know, there's all this kind of cool stuff with our pay. We get to Rhode Island, we move into base housing and I found out that my pay for being married, now mind you at the time I was making like $800 a month. Okay, a month. It's like acting. <laughs> all right. Some of you resemble that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll repent later. It's okay. <laughs> and my, my pay went up by like, I don't know, a, a thousand something dollars a month. Uh, and I thought that was for being married. It turns out, no, it was for, for the rent. Um, and so as soon as I moved to base housing, all of my money went away. And no one told us. And we were like, what? We, we, had no, we had no idea. And so we end up in this place where it's like, I don't know, five or six days before payday. So back in the day, they had these things called checks. And they used to take forever to clear. So you could write them like three days ahead. At least you could get, you know, some food or something. We got to the place where we had a, a gallon of water in the refrigerator, a half a thing of peanut butter, a half a thing of jelly, no bread, and a can of green beans. That was everything in our house. In fact, the first 30 days, we didn't even have furniture because there wasn't even loaner stuff. Our stuff was still out and uh, there was nothing to give us. And so we're, we're, we're sitting there and we're like, what are we going to do? Now, my wife... If you have not met her, uh, my wife is a planner. My wife makes lists about making lists. It's no joke. I've seen her do it. It's really incredible. Not knowing where our food and money is going to come from are hugely unsettling things for a planner. But at that moment, God used her gift of faith in a powerful way. She had this incredible calm as she reminded me that God knew our situation and was absolutely certain that he would provide. She knew it beyond knowing. She knew And I remember her saying, hey, you know what? We have a full tank of gas. 
You have no money, we have no food, but you know what? Let's just go and enjoy God and he's gonna come through. Let's just see what happens. And so we had the best day like driving around and window shopping and just hanging out with each other, uh, you know, thinking of all the things we would eat if we could afford to eat, you know. (laughs) We get home, house is locked. We had no friends or family there. (sighs) A couple of young, young kids and I don't know why, but I went to the refrigerator. I opened the refrigerator, and there was a brand new fresh loaf of bread. Those are the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches my wife ate for the next two days until we could float a check to the commissary and get what we needed to get. But there was no way I missed that loaf of bread before. It was not there. No one was in our home. Can't tell me how else it was put there. No, you know, nobody looking out for us in those ways. Everything was locked up. It was just a brand new fresh loaf of bread. Now you notice it wasn't steak and beer. I'm still asking God why, but um, (laughs) the truth is that God gave us exactly what we needed in that moment. And I absolutely believe that that miracle was there because of my wife's faith and unshakable belief because we were praying, God, we have to trust you. There's no, other, there's no other thing we can do here. Like, we're just going to go hungry for four days. That was what we, what we knew of in that time. And it was, it was this, this moment that was solidified. My wife's faith, I believe, solidified what was happening with that miracle. Now, Paul describes this gift as a gift that can move mountains, that can do the impossible When these people come into a situation, they tend to rally people around an expectation for God to do a mighty work. And because God is the one that's using the gift in them, he often does do a mighty work. If you have this gift, if people come to you on a regular basis because they're having a hard time believing that God can and will come through, and you seem to always help people remember, believe and see the promises, power, and presence of God in their lives, you probably have the spiritual gift of faith. That's probably a spiritual gift you have. Most often, we actually don't recognize the gifts in ourselves. Why? Because just like fish don't recognize water, it's just what you do. But if you recognize that these are patterns in your life where that seems to be your rallying point, where people come to you and you remind them of who God is and what he's done, and it's consistent, then you might have the gift of faith. Jesus had all the gifts, but he did it, definitely had the gift of faith. He did healings and miracles in the name of the Father. He went to the cross absolutely believing the Father would raise him from the dead. How do we know this? Because he predicted both his death and his resurrection throughout his ministry. Now we're about to get to our third observation for the day, but before we do, it's really important we go back and look at the two gifts in the context of our first point. Again, we don't own our gifts, they are God's. That's the fundamental thing we want to remember this. We don't own our gifts, they're God's. If you're taking notes today, this is our third observation for the day. The spiritual gifts of healing and miracles are gifts that allow the person to be a catalyst for God's healing or miraculous work. The spiritual gifts of healing and miracles are gifts that allow a person to be a catalyst for God's healing or miraculous work. What does this mean? Most often, the gifts of healing and miracles overlap But they're separate. All healings are miracles, but not all miracles are healings. Here's the deal. We don't heal. God does. My wife and I were having this great discussion one time. She said, I I don't believe we heal. Only God does. And I said, yeah, that's right. She said, then how is it a gift? That's a, a great question. 
We don't heal. God does. So then how is it a gift? Well, I know that God has chosen to use his people to accomplish his work. And so I believe that God uses certain people as a catalyst for that work. They have great faith that God can and will heal. The Holy Spirit prompts them or tells them to pray for healing. And I believe that God responds. And this is why it's so important to remember that we're not the ones that own our gifts. If we owned healing, then we would be the ones doing the work of healing. Right? That would mean that it's, if it's from, how, from our power. God could absolutely heal on his own, but again, he uses his people. He uses the church to accomplish his work, which is why I believe that God gives people, some people, the gift to be catalysts for healing to accomplish his mission. Let me give you an example of what a miracle and healing can look like. Uh, also, my wife, I did tell her I was talking about her today, so just in case you're wondering, it's not a surprise she knew this was coming. Um, my wife, when she was a teenager, was diagnosed with lupus. Some of you uh, don't know what lupus is. My wife underwent, underwent radiation, had her hair fall out. She was in a wheelchair, the whole deal. Now, for those of you who don't know what lupus is, it's the exact opposite of AIDS. AIDS tells your body it is not sick no matter what, and so you can die of the common cold because your body won't fight it off. It won't recognize that it's a danger to itself. Lupus tells your body that your body is the disease. Your own organs are the sickness, and so your body will literally kill itself by killing your own organs, thinking that they are the disease. There is no cure currently, only treatments to keep lupus in remission. Now, we've prayed for Monique a lot over the years. There's been a lot of prayer, a lot of hands-on praying. A lot of people have said that, uh, that they felt like God was going to do something um, but even though she was in remission, her blood work always reminded us she was sick. Every time we switched doctors at the military, every time we got to a new duty station, we'd get a new doctor, and they would call, you need to call us right now, there's an emergency. And I was like, I, it's okay, I know. They're like, we can't talk to you over the phone. I said, it shows up the same as AIDS, it's not AIDS, it's lupus, we understand. We went through this countless times, over and over and over again. We knew, we were like, yes, we know, we know she has lupus. And they, you know, again, they would freak out. That's important because there's a, Part of the story later that's going to make sense. And so even though she was in remission, her blood work always reminded us she was sick. And then something happened. We were uh, in college ministry in Hawaii. We were uh, pastoring in Hawaii. And uh, we had this group that would get together to pray. And one night we were praying for each other uh, for healing. And we had noticed that every time this group prayed for healing, there was, um, there was healings. There was somebody in that group that whenever they were there, that people would get healed. It was really an interesting thing. And so we, one night we decided to pray for Monique. And as we prayed, she had this overwhelming sense of peace. And she said she knew that she had been healed from lupus. Now, this person um, never tried to get the credit. They didn't want to be known. They wouldn't tell you they're a healer. They were moved to pray. They prayed, and God seemed to answer that prayer. This was more than 20 years ago, and Monique's blood work has since proven she has not had lupus. Yeah, clap for God. We had one doctor who was insisting that every other doctor had been made a mistake on her charts. I was like, man, there's like 40 doctors that took her blood work. Like, it's not, this is a miracle, not a mistake. But the gift of healing always comes out of a gift of supernatural faith and a healthy prayer life. I have never seen the gift of healing come without supernatural faith and without a healthy, vibrant prayer life. 
I don't believe God gives the gift of healing to anyone that doesn't have a regular and healthy prayer life. And now, the other thing that's important to remember about this is that there are different kinds of healing. There are people that may not be healed physically, but God may heal them spiritually or emotionally. There was people who used this gift the wrong way when my dad was sick with cancer, and they came and said, God's going to heal this man. God's going to heal him. It's going to be miraculous. And he died. But you know what God did before he died? God healed my father emotionally in ways that no one else could have ever done. And so healing is not always some physical healing. So often it can be supernatural, but still touch the spiritual or the emotional. The gift of healing is not a gift a person owns. The person with this gift cannot be like a healing vending machine, using it how and when they want to. And we have to understand in history there's been disgusting examples of people who promise to heal you of anything if you send them money. They take the credit and the money. And I think, honestly, taking the credit is even worse. What you find out is that inevitably they claim to heal, but they cannot validate it. There's even been some people who have faked the evidence because they're con men who are not gifted by God but are motivated by money and pride. Now, this gift of healing absolutely does exist as my family has experienced. So how do you know if you have this gift? If you feel an overwhelming sense that God is asking you to pray for a person to be healed, you have an overwhelming sense of faith that God can and will do the healing, and when you are obedient, people are healed, then you probably have the spiritual gift of healing. It's not common, but it is real and it does happen. Now, if you have this gift, you will absolutely care more about them healing than you getting the credit. If you truly have this gift, you will not care if anybody ever knows that it's you because that's the gift that God uses. These people are almost always in the shadow because their desire is to see Jesus glorified and made famous, not themselves. Remember, any gift must point to the glory of God or it is not used rightly and it's not a gift. Why? Because Jesus' whole purpose, the Holy Spirit's purpose, is to bring glory to God. Our purpose as human beings is to bring glory to God. So why would anything that the Holy Spirit has us do not do that? It must, it must bring glory to God. And so again, miracles work the exact same way. Miracles always come from a foundation of faith and prayer. They're not the work of a person, but a work through a person. Jesus obviously had the gift of miracles. He healed regularly, but he also turned water into wine. That's one of Burbank's favorite miracles. He raised Lazarus from the dead as a few examples. Again, this is not the most common gift, but it does exist, and God does use people to do the miraculous. In the Bible, there's a story of a group of men who refused to stop worshiping God, even though the law required them to only worship the king. Though the punishment was death, they had a supernatural gift of faith that God would take care of them, so they refused, and they actually tell the king, uh, God is going to rescue us miraculously, but even if he doesn't, he's still good. But God's going to do this miraculously. The king wasn't super stoked with their answer, so he heated up a giant fire that was so hot that the guards who were carrying these guys to the fire actually die from the heat. The king has them thrown into the fire. They, they get thrown in. The king looks around. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. We threw three guys in. There's four guys in there. What's happening? It's an angel of the Lord walking around the fire, and he calls them out. The three men come out not only unburnt, but they didn't even smell like smoke. That is a miracle of God. And this brings us to our final observation for the day. 
Fourth observation for the day is this, that these gifts always proceed from a gift of faith and a healthy prayer life. It's almost like we've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> I've been saying it all day because it's absolutely the truth. That these gifts, faith, healing, and miracles, or miracles and healing in particular, always proceed from a gift of faith and a healthy prayer life. Every time a healing or miracle takes place, it's a result of both faith and prayer. Why? Because it is God moving and doing the healing of the miracle, not the person asking. God moves through them. They don't command God. They can be obedient to God, but they don't command God. Jesus had a healthy prayer life. He often withdrew in order to seek the Father's will and to be prepared for what the Father was going to call him to do. And he said that he only did what the Father asked of him. Jesus said, I only do what the Father calls me to do, including healing and miracles. And so if that's how Jesus operated, of course, that's exactly how we're to operate too in the gifts that God has given us. The Bible said it's a good thing to desire the gifts of God and that we're to ask him. But here's the thing. Those come from a healthy prayer life. It means that if you're going to ask, it's not just to like, hey God, would you give me this? And then kind of move on. It doesn't work that way. If gifts are something that you want, then gifts are something you need to repeatedly ask for regularly, consistently, constantly, and see what God does. But remember, the gifts are always and only to bring him credit and to assist in carrying out his mission. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, you are incredible. You are miraculous. You are wonderful. You are holy. I thank you that you have, Lord, not just put us on this earth and then left us to figure this out for ourselves, but that you are with us every step of the way. That you are pleased with us. God, sometimes it's so hard to wrap my mind around that, that there's nothing I can do to, to separate myself from you and your love, that your love is to the fullest and most complete extent, that those of us who are apprentices of you, that Matthew 3.17 applies, that we are your sons and daughters in whom you're well pleased. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that it's about you and not about us. We thank you that you've given us gifts to accomplish your will. Would you help us to understand what those are? Would you show us how we can use those to carry out your mission to bring you glory because you're good. Father, help us to remember who you are, what you've done, and who we're called to be because of that. Amen.